You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast on a glorious podcast day because we are finally talking about week one of the NFL season. It's been a long off season in many more ways than just one. And uh, it finally appears that we will have NFL football for at least the first week and hopefully many more beyond that. We are the Colts Blue Zone. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. I'm Dave Griffiths, joined by Joe Hopkins here in studio and Mike Chappell, Colts veteran reporter, joins us as well. Uh, guys, we've got a game to talk about this week, Colts Jaguars. And Mike, for, for a long time, there were certainly questions this offseason whether we would get this far. As, as steps started going forward, as players started coming back to teams, you realized, OK, we're going to get to week one at least. This is the beginning of, of a hopeful full NFL season. But right now, I, I think I, I'm grateful that we're here and and optimistic that we can keep pushing forward. Yeah, the, the question was always is, is how would they manage the tests? And, you know, you want to knock on all the wood you can knock on. But so far, so good. The Colts had the two initial. And none since the league had what was it one player in the last week, so all those concerns have been alleviated. Now the risk goes up, obviously, when you have teams going on the road. So I'm telling you, the the, the protocol for on the road is going to be really limited access to players and what they can do in the hotel in their little area of the hotel. If they go out, it's it's by themselves or it's in a group small group and you don't get around people you're not going to be eating out players aren't so they're going to do what they can but th- this is the next phase is how will they avoid positive tests once you have you lose some of the control you've got but i've got to say i had my concerns in june july on how this would go but if you're not encouraged you've not been paying attention let's see how the first month but i'm very encouraged that they will start you know, certainly start on time and finish on time. Colts Jaguars this weekend for the season opener. We'll discuss the Colts 53 man roster after a weekend where uh, teams across the NFL cut down to get to 53. Um, we have announcement regarding stadium game day procedures and guidelines for fans who will be at Colts games, which is great. Colts will at least have a handful of fans. It's great in some ways. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit. I, I have my issues, but uh, for, first we'll start with uh, before we really dive into the Colts and uh, the Jaguars game specifically, uh, a little bit of news around the AFC South this week. And that is that Jadavian Clowney is back in the division. He is signed with the Titans, uh, reuniting with uh, coach Mike Vrabel, who was his defensive coordinator in Houston. One year deal with Tennessee worth up to $15 million. And uh, Joe, we talked in the offseason that the Titans really did lose. Um, they lost special guys like Jarrell Casey, who was on the defensive line and, and some others. But Casey specifically, you bring in Clowney. He's a guy that can kind of plug into that gap. He's another big time playmaker that can really help shore up a front that uh, was maybe a little bit questionable. We at least we have thought throughout this offseason. Yeah, I would say this definitely at very least makes up for the loss of Casey. Obviously, they play different positions, but on that defensive front there, I mean, him and Landry lining up opposite of each other is going to be tough on third and long the block. Um, And then uh, I believe they have Vic Beasley, who they signed as well. So between those three, those are three very athletic edge rushers who can get after it. So that Colts offensive line is going to have to stay healthy and stay on top of it when they play the Titans. And and Mike, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's funny. You could argue that Jadavian Clowney is what's good 
and what's bad about being a player. He, he's probably one of the most undisciplined players you're going to see. Offsides. And there, there was last year, the Colts game, or, or two years ago, where he sealed the win with a, an offside. But he makes those disruptive plays that, that turn games around. So I guess with him, is does he give you more than he takes away? Uh, I think yes. But again, uh, guy that you just don't know what you're going to get from snap to snap, but he, he may give me those six plays a game to turn games around. For the Colts uh, signing this week as well, that will uh, pay dividends on the offensive line for at least uh, four years extended into the future, so five years total. Colts signed center Ryan Kelly to a four-year extension worth a reported $50 million, 34 of that guaranteed. Makes him the highest-paid center in the league. And, uh, Mike, when we heard uh, Ryan's reaction just when we got to Zoom with him that evening earlier this week, um, he, he he got out and just told everyone a story that he had never told anyone before, telling his agent before the draft a couple years ago, Look, I don't want to go anywhere else from Indy. Seattle's too far away. Indy's like two hours from home in Cleveland, or in uh, Ohio, rather. My parents can come to games. So he has wanted to be here as a Colt from the beginning, and now he's going to be a Colt well into the future, anchoring that offensive line. Yeah, and it's the latest example of Ballard, who said it starts up front. Everybody says that. Well, in the last few months, he's given Costanzo two years and $33 million, and now $50 million to Kelly. Three first-round picks on that line. Braden Smith's a second-round pick. So they, they've sort of put put action to their words, and that's what you want. So, uh, again, with Phillip Rivers coming in, not exactly the, the most mobile quarterback we're ever going to see here. But uh, to have this offensive line, and these guys are under contract now through 2021. So it, it really bodes well for the, for the immediate future. And, Joe, when you talk about Ryan Kelly – uh, he's a guy that, uh, he has had one or two injury issues. I think around his neck, he's had some stingers last year, so he's missed some time. It's always important to have a good backup, I think behind him. But when he's in there, uh, we, we've heard offensive line coaches uh, here with the Colts and Frank Reich and Chris Ballard as well, just praise him as one of the best in the league. They paid him like he's one of the best in the league. Absolutely. I mean, if you want to argue someone else might be the best, I don't think anyone can argue he's not top five in the NFL. Um, he finally played, a started a full 16 game slate last year and he's never had the major injuries where he like misses a whole season or anything like that. So um, I think it was worth it for the Colts to wrap this guy up and keep their offensive line intact. The Colts announced this past week, they will host 2,500 fans at their home opener. That's September 20th, week two against the Minnesota Vikings. Just a couple procedural issues. Face masks are required. Physical distancing is required. There will be screening and temperature checks for fans there. Pod seating is okay. Fan seating will be grouped in pods to maintain distance between groups who are not there together to watch game. There is no tailgating permitted in Colts-controlled parking lots, although I am quite sure that people will be out there in force anyway in non-Colts-controlled parking lots. No cash or mobile uh, mobile tickets rather are required and fans uh, should use the stadium entrance that's noted specifically on their tickets. You're not just going to be able to go in willy-nilly wherever you want to, like a usual NFL Sunday. Um, Mike, A, encouraging to have some fans. And we've talked uh, throughout the offseason. It's kind of weird that some places are allowed to have fans and some places aren't. You get some money coming in, and I think it's all about money. Uh, just if you're allowed to have fans, bring them in, get a little bit of cash flow. We know that the cash flow for the NFL is going to be down big time this year. So have some, but my first reaction when I saw this number, perfectly honestly, was the Indy 11 are drawing 
like 5,000, 10,000 fans, way yeah. more than 2,500 fans at Lucas Oil Stadium. What the heck? What, why, why is the Colts limited to 2,500? It, it's just baffling to me, and I can't get a straight answer from anybody about why. Yeah, I checked the Indy 11 website, and it's, it fluctuates between 5,000 and 4,500, and I was told they probably have 4,000 butts in the seats. Yeah, my initial reaction was, why bother with 2,500? Although it, it's better than none, it, it is, and the team really pushed hard for the, uh, was it 15% at, at last, the, la- the last thing? Which would have been about 10, 11,000, I think, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I, and certainly this is temporary, and perhaps in in a couple games it'll increase if you know if COVID sort of ebbs a little bit. Although you're expecting it to go up with with the the winter and the change or the change in seasons, but I, I still I come back to the same thing. I'm I just don't understand why the league doesn't step in and say no. I understand you're talking a revenue stream for teams to some degree, but th- there's a competitive imbalance here. And we could argue what kind of home field is 2,500 people. Yeah. I, they, they could, they could yell at the top of their lungs in that stadium and not make a lot of noise. But, but if Dallas has 40,000, I mean, really? So, so I don't know, but it, it's a good step, I guess. Uh, I, I'm surprised the 2,500, I'm thinking really 2,500, you could have your own section. Hmm. You know, your family can go to their own section of the stadium, but I guess it's better, but not much. Joe, it's going to be a uh, a smattering of fans inside Lucas Oil Stadium in a couple Sundays. Yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say other than this is weird. This whole thing is weird. Uh, trying to do things during a pandemic is weird. I mean, I guess it's better than nothing. I don't know how they're going to decide which fans get to go. I know my buddy had bought tickets uh almost immediately as they were available, and he's already had his money back months ago. They just sent it back to him. So I, I'm not sure how that process works, but, hey, good for uh, the 2,500 who get to actually go to a few games. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's um, by, like, season ticket seniority is, I, at least, I, I, I haven't spoken with, with Pete Ward or whoever might actually know the exact process, but I would imagine, Mike, that senior ticket seniority and then you move your way down to individual game tickets would be how it goes. I don't know if you've heard anything specifically about that. That just makes sense to me. Yeah. I've not looked a lot into it, but initially they had the uh, the two the two four game packages of season tickets. If you wanted to do that, now yeah. what, whether that's went into effect and, and whether you're going to fill twenty five hundred spots very quickly through that, I don't know. I, I want the secondary market for those people who worry. Will, will those will the price go up? I it mean, could. Will up supply and demand. Not not that we worry about that. We get in free. But right. <laughs> like Joe said, it's it's just such an odd season. What's Kansas City expecting tonight? Fifteen thousand? I've not I've not paid much attention. But uh, I I just think it's so strange. I keep coming back to the same thing. I I guess some's better than none, but not a heck of a lot. The Colts have whittled the roster down to fifty three, cut down from about eighty players just this past Saturday. And uh, most notable among that group, Joe has already taken his victory lap, but he will take many more, I am sure, because Rodrigo Blankenship 
has won the Colts starting kicker job over Chase McLaughlin. So, Joe, I will give you the floor. It is yours. What on earth did you see in Rodrigo Blankenship when the Colts draft? Well, not draft him when the Colts signed him after the draft so many months ago to say he's the guy. Listen, a man who rocks goggles like that cannot be stopped. I saw it from the forefront. I would like to be referred to as the kicking Nostradamus on this podcast for now on. I called Vinatieri's demise last year. I called Blankenship this year. And he's going to be with the team for at least another five years. At least five years. Okay. Congratulations. Congratulations. (laughs) Mike, you've been out of practice. You've seen kind of the kicking competition. For most people who are out there consistently at practice, it was a little bit of a surprise to them. It was still still a close competition, but still, I think most people had McLaughlin pegged as the guy. Well, yeah. And and again, so much was that they talked, well, he's got the experience. He was a rookie last year. Right. And he kicked five. Well, he was five for six for the Colts in December when Vinatieri went on IR. What we saw, the little that we saw, we just saw a snippet of the of the total competition. But it appeared that McLaughlin had the stronger leg, was more accurate when he did miss. They weren't, you know, huge misses. Uh, and Chris Ballard told us that they were splitting hairs when it came down to it. The only thing that was odd is they kept they kept indicating that there was just something about Rodrigo. Maybe hey, it's the fact he builds Legos. I don't know. Or, or, or he's a transformer and he collects comic books. I don't know. But uh, to go into the, the the season with a rookie, I think I went and he's the, is the he, he's only the second rookie kicker on, on opening day that this team's had. The other was Vanderjet. So it's, it's unusual. And you just hope that when it comes time in the third or fourth quarter at Jacksonville, that he does what he's supposed to do, whether it's to kick that one that gives you the lead or it pads your lead. I we we saw the it's funny we saw the length of leash on Vinatieri last year. It was 16 games. It really well it was until he went on IR. What, what will be their tolerance for a rookie kicker? The one thing you don't like, and I'm not gonna, I'm not I'm not trying to spoil Joe's afternoon. <laughs> But, but Go ahead, you can. It's okay. You simply cannot endure another season of kicking like you did last year. Uh, and the last thing you want to do is be having kicking tryouts every other month. So hopefully this guy steps in, nerdy and all, and he just does what he's supposed to do. Nothing out of the ordinary. Just just make your kicks, make your extra points, okay? And and to be a non-story all year. I'll I'll say this, uh, but. Uh, we we learned that he he likes uh, building uh, with uh, uh, those little bricks, and that I, we learned on online that the plural of Lego is Lego. It's not Legos, uh, believe it or right. not. People actually like that. Like that a that's deer, a thing. deer situation. Exactly. Like pe- people were upset when uh, <laughs> when people were saying, "Oh, he's building with Legos." That like like people do on Twitter, they they stood up in mass and and protested and. Okay. Uh, they, <laughs> And in content or online, isn't it? It's all caps. It is, yes. So I I screwed that up unless our copy editors say that, which, you know, I can't always depend on that. But it's amazing amazing when you make trademark mistakes or style mistakes, they feast on you. And the Colts, uh, perhaps a little bit more uh, relevant, the streak of consecutive years with an undrafted free agent rookie making the roster continues. It's now 22 years in a row, Mike. Um, and, and you've written about this year after year, uh, the, the Colts have found gems 
uh, here. They've found guys that are not just not just contributors, contributors, but guys who are pro bowlers in, in, in years past. So I certainly hope that Rodrigo follows in the vein of guys like Jack Doyle and others who, who've had a consistent impact on this Colts franchise. Yeah. And people, people have taken shots at the Colts where you shouldn't be having a roster where an undrafted guy makes a roster. No, it's not like six undrafted guys made it. So, so it, 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 but it does show you that streak shows you that if you come in here and you earn a spot, for the most part, they don't care where how you got to the NFL. Now, certainly draft picks get more tolerance and a stronger look, but Jack Doyle, if he's not the poster boy for undrafted players, you know, waived by Tennessee, he comes here, and he, and he signed two free agent contracts worth over $40 million. So, you know, it, it does happen, and your dream doesn't end on cut day if you don't make the roster. One thing I thought was notable about the uh, 53-man roster the Colts uh, kept over this past weekend was the fact that they had seven linebackers in training camp. All seven made the 53-man roster. That That's a pretty big number. We have not seen the Colts under Chris Ballard in his past couple years carry seven linebackers into week one. This is the first time they've done that. And Chris was specifically asked about that uh, over the weekend when he did his Zoom call with the media. And he said, well, each one of these guys plays a role. Every one of these guys has a specific job that they do well. We all know Darius Leonard, Anthony Walker, Bobby Okereke. Those guys are your three main guys that are going to see the most amount of time on the defensive side of the ball. After that, the other guys are either like EJ Speed is a young backup Joe that Joe loves that uh, will probably see a little bit more time, I think, on the defensive side of the ball this year than he has in years past. Other guys are really big special teams guys like Jordan Glasgow, the um, the guy they signed as a rookie this year that Chris Ballard said after the draft was they see him as a special teams, uh, like a, a focal point in the future. They see him as a standout special teams player. So they kept him. Matthew Adams and Zaire Franklin, two seventh round picks from a couple years ago. Zaire, my boy out of Syracuse there University. I was waiting. I didn't think it'd take it as long. I was going to mention it because he was also elected a team captain this year, gentlemen. Former seventh-round pick, now a team captain out of Syracuse University and Philly. So Zaire is, is my guy, uh, doubly so, from uh, the great city of brotherly love and also from uh, the wonderful institution of Syracuse University. But, uh, Mike, Mike, did it stand out to you that all seven of these guys made it, that they, they found other places to cut, and that uh, that's, a, that's a rather significant chunk of a 53-man roster? Well, really, a 52-man roster, but you got Jacob Eason on there who who's on the roster in, in – Probably won't play. So, yeah, it, it, it did. I thought maybe Glasgow or or either Adams or Franklin might be practice squad. But they, they value this. It, again, it just shows you how they they juggle their roster. I'm trying to think where they – the place they're thin now is, is tight end. So, so if Trey Burton were healthy, would they have carried four? I don't know. Maybe the uh, Noah, whatever his name, last name is, you can you're, – you're Togi eye. There you go. It's like Togi eye. So yeah. I'll let you. I'll, I I just need to spell it correctly. Exactly. No, it, it, it's a it's a it, this is a position of you keep your best players, and they 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 were convinced that this these seven players belonged, and they probably robbed a spot at at a position or two, tight end being one offensive lineman. They, there's only eight offensive linemen. So, and one thing to keep in mind is with the new practice squad rules is 16 players on a practice squad 
I think there's two offensive linemen, I think, on the practice squad. And we're going to see the, 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 the Colts maximize the practice squad to where you can, you can bring up to on game day. And maybe that, maybe that next, the other guy is an offensive lineman. So uh, the, the practice squad is going to be a lot more active and invaluable as they go through the season. Joe, Mike brought it up, but the fact that they have eight offensive linemen, um, I'll, I'll compare that to linebackers. I mean, you have seven linebackers, really two of them see the field at once, maybe three. Uh, offensive linemen, you only have eight offensive linemen. Five of them are on the field all the time. So you got to have faith that, A, these guys are going to be healthy, which they did all last year. you got to have faith in your backups a, a whole heck of a lot. And when you look at those backups, I, I found it telling that two of them were tackles, LaRaven Clark and Chaz Green. Only one guy is an interior guy, and that's Danny Pinter. That's the rookie out of Ball State. I, I, I know Chris Ballard loves this kid. I know he tried to trade up for him in the draft. I know that they've sung his praises throughout this camp. But he is your only interior backup offensive lineman right now. They are putting a tremendous amount of faith in Danny Pinter that he can step in and perform admirably if called upon. In the gap in competition between Ball State and the NFL. It's you know, it's not like he was sure. playing at Alabama mm -hmm. in the SEC or anything like that. Um, I think it was a situation where, you know, we identified this as a major weakness entering training camp. And so at the end of the day, they probably thought, well, why keep, you know, four or five backup offensive linemen when the last two of them are going to be quality players that we can pick up off the street if we need to anyway, is probably they're thinking about it. Whereas the linebackers, other teams might come in and scoop up some of these linebackers if they were cut. Well, yeah, and again, and, until proven otherwise, this depth is going to be an issue. The three backups on the roster, none of, none of them stepped on the field last year. Pinter being a rookie, Chaz Green, and Raven Clark. The only the only linemen that played backups last year for the Colts are elsewhere, Josh Andrews and Joe Hegg. So, you know, to, to think that this offensive line can start in and you hope so, but the odds say no. And at some point, you're going to. And Anthony Costanzo was uh, yesterday with an oblique. I'm sure he'll be okay. And Ryan Kelly was out with limited with a knee. So. Uh, you, you hope you don't need your, your backup guys, but you're going to. You're just going to need them at some point. And I, I think Pinter's going to see the field on some goal line and jumbo packages, Joe, because he's a former tight end as well. He was converted to offensive line in college. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a, a little flashy Danny Pinter out there uh, at, at the goal line or in a third and short situation in a in a unique spot. So so th that'd be fun. A little trickery. Exactly. I like it. I yeah. like it. He Notable be, cuts from be, the. He, go ahead. He could be in there. He could be in there. Short yardage as a fullback because mm -hmm. they don't have a fullback. So uh, he gives you that versatility, and I just wish these guys had a little more experience. I realize Raven Clark and Chaz Green have played in their careers, but it's been a while. Some notable cuts for the Colts to make it down to fifty-three. Uh, quarterback swag, Jad Kelly. But he is signed to the practice squad, Joe, so fear not. He's still around. Don't worry about it. Uh, wide receivers, uh, they cut down to six. Uh, obviously, we knew what the top of the wide receiver room was going to be. T.Y. Hilton going to make the team. Uh, Paris Campbell and Michael Pittman Jr. going to make the team. Zach Paschal going to make the team. Th those four were, were roster locks. After that, we figured they'd go five or six, so one or two more guys would get there. They went six. The two guys they kept, Desmond Patman which uh, he made the roster. And Chris Ballard mentioned again in that Zoom saying that they like guys who are big that can beat press coverage. 
And that's something that uh, Patman has shown, that uh, you, you need the physicality in the NFL to beat press coverage. So Patman can do that. And the last guy, the sixth, Ashton Doolin, who, is a, who was a rookie last year and is a special teams guy again. So you fill out the bottom of that six with a special teams guy. Guys you have to cut to get down there. Marcus Johnson, who caught a couple touchdowns last year for the Colts. Uh, I remember one long one against the Bucks specifically comes to mind. And then Reese Fountain as well, a, a fifth-round pick from a couple years ago who had a tremendous camp two years ago and then got that uh, injury at the end of camp. He would have made the team. It was sad. It was devastating to him. Um, so rough not to have just more options, Mike. But nevertheless, the, the guys that are on the roster have proven their their roles, why they're there. And uh, so two guys that uh, one guy specifically that has produced in the past, at least a little bit, and one guy that uh, just hasn't quite been able to crack that 53, uh, didn't quite make the roster. Yeah, and Reese is back on the practice squad. So, you know, he'll have a chance to continue to grow. And and you just hope that maybe year to year, you know, one year you get crunched at receiver like last year where people just are falling out. Maybe this is the year they stay healthy. I would love to see what happens if each of these guys, you know, play the 14 games because maybe T.Y. misses a game or two. Paris Campbell, just because you get nicked up. I'd love to see a, a, a season where your four main guys play 14, 15 games to see what they can do in this offense. Because I'm telling you, we talked to T.Y. today. He's motivated. He, I mean, he's at a, he said a, a healthy 13 is a different 13. He said he's felt, he's not, he, the last time he felt this good was in the year he led the league in receiving in 2016. And it's a contract year. So this guy is extremely motivated. A, uh, a motivated 13, Joe, is a dangerous 13, I think. Oh, yeah. I've been talking up this guy all offseason. You know, people kind of forgotten, oh, T.Y. Hilton, he's been around for a while. A healthy T.Y. Hilton is going to go off this year, especially with Philip Rivers, who's not afraid to chuck it and take some chances. So I can't wait to see what he does this season. On the other side of the ball, defensive end Kamoko Ture will start the season on the physically unable to perform list. So that means he cannot practice for the first six weeks of the year. He can come back and practice week seven. And uh, for the Colts, week seven is a bye week. So you'll be able to really get him two full weeks of practice and before that first game after coming back. But uh, nevertheless, Mike, I, I, I think this is a little bit disappointing obviously with Kamoko Ture starting on pup, but at the same time, since we didn't see him suit up during training camp, he was out there just kind of in, in his street clothes. Uh, this, this is not, not exactly an unexpected move considering he, we haven't seen him t- take a single snap out there on the field. No, but I tell you the last couple of weeks of training camp, he was out there working w- with the train Robert Mathis. And you thought maybe he was getting close, but they just said he wasn't ready yet. And they weren't going to push it. Chris Ballard mentioned that this was a major surgery. I think it was dislocation, uh, a fracture, and I'm sure there, were, there was ligament damage. You know, to show you how how or how significant it was, Julian Blackman is back ready after tearing an ACL a couple of months after Trey did the ankle. So it just shows you how how difficult and severe this injury was. And this is a big loss. It, it's it, it, you you really can't sugarcoat the the, the, um, the enormity of not having Terry Athers because you're going to now depend on Ben Banigou, I guess, to be that guy, or Danico Autry, I, I don't know. Taiwan, Taekwon Lewis could help ease the loss, but they really missed something. Chris Ballard called it the fastball in the pass rush last year when he wasn't out there after the Kansas City game. 
So it's just going to stress everybody else a little bit. Yeah, from that first depth chart the Colts released this week online, I believe that it's Danico Autry who's listed as the starter out there on the outside. So it's Autry and Houston as your bookends, and then Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner there in the middle. Um, Joe, you've been high on Kamoko Ture this offseason, as as all of us, I think, are. But um, that that fastball, as Mike said, it's, it's not going to be in the lineup. And also one other thing Chris Ballard said was COVID did not help us in this situation, you know? And like for a normal person coming back from a major surgery, like you, you, it takes weeks and months to get back with your, uh, with, with what's it called with, um, physical therapy and with all this training for, for a professional athlete to get back to a professional athlete level, you need professional athlete level, physical therapy and weight training. You can't just do things at home. Another thing Chris Bauer said, again, he did everything we asked of him. He did everything he could, but there's, there are just things you cannot do as a professional athlete to get back to that professional athlete level in the state that we were currently living in over the summer. Yeah, I remember, you know, back in March, April, for a little while there, players weren't allowed in the facilities. And, you know, I remember, I, I don't know Teray's specific situation, but for a while, any kind of elective hospital visit just wasn't happening at the right. time. It either needed to be an emergency or COVID-related so I'm sure that didn't help with his uh, rehabilitation. And it, it's really disappointing because Teray is a player he showed at the beginning last year. A ton of talent, athletic freak, really, when he's on the field. And so if he could just stay healthy and put it together, he could be an all-star. So we're looking forward to seeing what he has in store, maybe in week eight when the Colts come back for their bye, or at least perhaps week uh, nine or ten once he gets fully acclimated to that, uh, to being back in an NFL game again. Colts also placed tight end Trey Burton on injured reserve with a calf injury, so that means he's out at least three weeks to start the year. And uh, in Trey's place, the Colts claimed undrafted rookie. So another undrafted rookie, uh, Noah Togiai, uh, who they got from the Eagles. And from what I understand, they kind of swiped him from the Eagles. The Eagles really wanted to keep him, but, um, but he's, he's now a Colt. So uh, the Colts will probably find some... I would say small role. How much can you learn as an undrafted rookie going into week one? I wouldn't even be surprised if he's inactive week one, just if he, but, but nevertheless, losing Trey Burton, Mike is, is a big loss for the Colts offense. It's a position they really wanted to use. It's someone that can um, impact the middle of the field on a third and medium, third and long situation, someone who could be effective in the red zone. Um, but they're not going to have that to start off the year. They're going to have to look elsewhere. Yeah. And we saw that during practice when we were at the, for those three weeks and, he was always in the middle of the field making catches. You always, you always wondered who that smallish number 80 was, and it was Burton. Uh, he, he, always, he had a really quick rapport with, with Rivers, and, and he, you, all of a sudden you lose, you lose that middle of the field guy, intermediate route guy, because, again, respect to Jack, but that game. So maybe for, for three games you're really going to accentuate more receiver sets as opposed to two tight end sets, but – that's why you, you, you like the versatility of this roster, the personnel as you've got. Naheem Hines maybe gets more looks now. So they've got the personnel to do it. They just can't do what they really like to do with two tight ends. Joe, what all do you know about Togiai, this undrafted rookie the Colts brought in? I, the, the one thing I saw, he, he had this one great play this last season. He jumped over a defender at like the five-yard line, made it into the end zone. But uh, I, I honestly don't know too much about him. I assume you've looked a little bit more into who he is and what he can do. Yeah, I didn't. I, to be honest, I hadn't really, he wasn't really on my radar at, ahead of the draft. Right. Um, I did a little bit of research. I mean, he's undrafted, so you, yeah. you know, he's not on too many people's radar. Exactly. I'll, I'll give you that one. Um, it's okay. <laughs> but 
I did a little bit of research, and he, he's one of those kind of athletic um, kind of project tight ends, former basketball player in high school. Um, from what I read, like, his blocking was just non-existent in college. Um, so he's a guy that they're kind of banking on his athletic upside and kind of teach him how to play the position. So, and again, that's a thing, Mike, when, when he's in there, that if the Colts play him at all, if he can't block in college, he's not blocking in the NFL. So that's like a yeah. red flag to opposing defensive coordinators that, well, we're going to, this is going to be a pass play right here. So he's only, he's a very much a strictly passing situation type of guy right now. Yeah. And, and with the personnel you have, I don't think you're going to force him into the offense just because you're like what he might be able to do in a month. So, you know, you may have mentioned that he could very well be one of your, your game day inactives because he, he just got here like Tuesday. And, yep. uh, you know, I, I just think it's crazy to try to force something that you want to do, but even if you haven't got the personnel to do it. So, again, I just think they're going to be less tight end reliant early on. So the Colts also play Sheldon Day on injured reserve with a knee. He'll be able to come back. At least he'll be eligible to come back after three weeks. So the interior, as I mentioned before, you got Grover Stewart and uh, DeForest Buckner are your two starters there. Uh, you have guys like Danico Autry can slide inside. Tyquan Lewis can be inside. Um, is there anybody else that I'm missing there in the interior defensive line? I, I can't recall right I, I now. I know they signed. Stallworth. Stallworth, that's right. Yeah, Stallworth, who played for the Saints, I believe, a year or two ago. And uh, this, so. is, this is still a really, really deep, versatile group. You know, the guy that we always over, Al Quaden Mohammed, he just makes plays. He just finds ways to make plays, a rotational guy. So I think this is still a strong, a strong group. You just can't absorb a lot of top end injuries. Got some top end talent in there. It'll be nice to be able to have that defensive line make some plays as the Colts open their season in Jacksonville this Sunday against the Jaguars. And to start off the year, the Colts have not been successful recently as we shift into our game preview. The Colts are one in nine in their last 10 season openers. Their only win in that time coming in 2013 against the Raiders. The Colts have lost seven straight openers on the road. And obviously this one is doubly important because it's a division opponent on the road to start off the season. And the Colts haven't won Jacksonville since 2014. All those stats come in courtesy of our Mike Chapel. You can read his work online, fox59.com, cbs4.com. Mike, the, the stats there would say um, the Colts have little chance in week one, but at the same time, you look at the Jaguars this year and you figure this might be their best opportunity to win a game in Jacksonville or their best opportunity to win a game uh, in the season opener strictly because of the team they're playing, the Jaguars, and how they have spent this offseason really shedding a lot of their top talent in uh, in order to do whatever it is they want to do moving into the future. Yeah, stop me if you heard this before, but the Jaguars are in reboot mode. Uh, yeah. it, it's incredible how many times you can restart a franchise and still be awful. It, it's just and, – and I went back and looked, and we've talked about it, Three years ago, they were like within two plays of, of reaching the Super Bowl. They they led New England, was it 20 to 11 in the fourth quarter with Blake Bortles. And, and they've totally redone their team for a lot of reasons. I talked to one of their guys down there and did the names, but he believes they get rid of a bunch of malcontents, the Leonard Fournettes and, and Ramsey and 
people like that. But you got some really some pretty good ball players too. Calais Campbell, quality, quality player. Uh, Nagakwe, uh, he, he, you know, he was never going to return to play there. But my, what a, I, I just don't know. I think the culture of seven and a half, eight and a half point pick, whatever it is, and to go down there and not win, and in my mind, not look good would not be the kind of thing you want going in because the, the first part of this schedule we've talked about it's conducive to a really good start sort of like last year and but this is when you really need to show that the moves you made bold moves Philip Rivers the fourth Buckner the, the two guys at the top of the draft Xavier Rhodes, if you want to include him, those those are win now moves. They just they think it, it tells you the team thinks they're 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 in position to do something, whatever that something is, and to to, to not go down there and really put your foot on it is almost universally thirty second in everybody's power rankings would be a major disappointment. Joe, the uh, the list of players that the Jaguars have either traded or cut is uh, certainly more notable, I think, than the players the Jaguars currently have on their roster. Uh, you look at the defensive side of the ball, especially Jalen Ramsey, A.J. Boye, Yannick Ngakwe, Calius Campbell, who Mike mentioned, uh, Marcel Darius, uh, Darius as well, uh, Ronnie Harrison, uh, also on the offensive side of the ball, Leonard Fournette, and quarterback Nick Foles was there again last year, a guy who got hurt in, very, in week one, and then uh, Gardner Minshew took over in, in more ways than one uh, down there in Jacksonville, and he's still the starter, but... But that, that, that's a lengthy list of playmakers and potential uh, Pro Bowl-type talent that uh, is no longer on the roster that was at the start of last year. Yeah, I mean, they're in tank mode, full-on tanking. Um, you know, I, I feel bad for Gardner because I, I'm kind of rooting for him, but I think they have their eyes set on Trevor Lawrence or whoever else might be at the top of the draft there. If the Colts don't win this game pretty you know if this is a close game at all even if they win it's not going to be an encouraging sign week one um i would hope the colts would run away this with this game and win by multiple scores i mean i i hear where you get where you guys are coming from i really do i just think i, I think it's still going to be tough i mean if i if i was betting if i was actually i'm not betting on this game just for the record like if i get eight points that's a lot of points, man. That really is. In the NFL, to get more than a touchdown is something that's incredibly significant. And e even, even though you look at the Colts roster and you look at the Jaguars roster and you see one of them is clearly more has more talent than the other, I, with the history in Jacksonville, with the history in season openers, like to get a full eight points, I think I think is a ridiculous number. Um, in, in week one here. And, and as much as we've talked about players that Jacksonville doesn't have, you look at who they do have. You mentioned Gardner Minshew. I mentioned Gardner Minshew. He had 21 touchdowns and only six interceptions as a rookie last year. That's a pretty good ratio right there. I don't think he's as big a playmaker as uh, most other quarterbacks in the NFL, but he's not going to be a guy that just gives the game away for Colts you. would have taken that last year. 100%. DJ Chark broke out last season as a wide receiver. More than 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. He had a really good year. He was was he a rookie last year? That was his second. Was his season. second season. So he he was young. He's getting better. He's shown in year two that he took a significant step forward. What does he have in store here in in year three? Edge rusher Josh Allen was a rookie last year. He had ten and a half sacks as a rookie. Of course, that's also with Yannick Ngakwe out there as well. That's with guys like Marcel Darius and Kelly Campbell. Campbell as well. So you 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 have to pick and choose who you can focus on. 
Now people are going to focus on Josh Allen a little bit more and be able to chip him or double him, whatever it might be. What does he have in store for year two? Miles Jack is a good linebacker. Joe Schobert, a free agent signing. They have, of course, a couple of first-round picks that have plenty of potential, like C.J. Henderson at corner, edge rusher Calavian Chasen out of LSU. It's not a team that is devoid of talent by, by any stretch of the imagination. It is a team that has cut significant talent. It is not devoid of talent. Again, so I just want to point, run that out there. So to, to have eight points, I understand where, where odds makers are coming from. But boy, to me, that Mike, that just seems like a big number in the NFL whenever you look at it. And I, I know this we're not a gambling show, but it, boy, eight, eight just makes my eyes pop to say that is a large number considering the team's history, the Colts' history going to Jacksonville and um, and the Colts' history in, in season openers. That, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm crazy, but that's how I feel about it. So we're not a gambling show, but you're clearly taking the Jaguars and the points. I, I would. I would. <laughs> yes. Clearly. Clearly, clear. They're running backs yeah, after I, the. I, you know, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But everything you say is is true. But I again, I, I'm I'm with Joe, and I just think this is this is where the Colts with Fowler and Reich and all they've done. They need to make a statement. I don't care if it's eighteen to seven. They need to make a statement to where we're not depending on those guy to kick a forty-seven yarder with the last three minutes to play. Uh, I, I just think that they're. That, that I realize this is a week to week league, but I do think that there are there are things and games that sort of set the tone. And to me, this is one of them. Uh, their starter, the Jaguars at running back, is an undrafted rookie out of Illinois State, James Robinson. And though he rushed for like four thousand, more than four thousand yards and forty four touchdowns at Illinois State, he's still an undrafted rookie. Um, they also have uh, running back Chris Thompson, who spent some good years in uh, in Washington, former Madison County Cowboy in North Florida and Florida State Seminole. When I was down there, Chris, uh, one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Uh, but he is he's shorter than me, I think, uh, he, but, which is he, I don't think he's really shorter than me, but he's just about my size height wise. Uh, a little bit more muscle on those bones, uh, to be perfectly fair, though. But uh, he, he's a he's a good pass catching running back. And we saw last year in the season opener, uh, my, my mind keeps going back to. Um, what uh, a, a certain uh, uh, Austin Eakler was able to do against the Colts in the season opener last year. So I think that's that's a pretty significant matchup week one that you look for. There's some other matchups to watch as well um, for the for the Colts in week one and against the Jaguars. We mentioned DJ Chark as well. Rock you seen in the Colts secondary ma- matching up against Chark. Uh, Joe uh, Rock has had by all accounts a good training camp. I'm eager to see if he can take some steps forward in actual games this year and really uh, emerge into a guy who's maybe not a shutdown corner, but a guy who is um, who, who's a better than average corner, which I think last year as a rookie, you, you admire his toughness to be out there more than anyone else was. He had the most snaps out of anybody on the defensive side of the ball. But if you want him to be a long-term player in the NFL, you need to take steps forward. Now he has the opportunity to do so. Yeah, and this will be a good first test because if this game goes how I think it will go, the Colts will get rolling early. They'll go up a couple touchdowns, and the Jaguars will be in catch-up mode. Uh, Minshew will be heaving it to Chark. And if Yassin can keep Chark under wraps, who I think Chark is talent-wise maybe a top 15 receiver in the league. I mean, he's big, he's fast, he's physical. Uh, He's an ascending player. If he can keep DJ Chark under wraps, that will be a huge win and a great sign for Yassin's development. Mike, it always starts up front, uh, whether uh, it's uh, the Colts offense against the Jaguars defensive line or vice versa. uh, Games are often one lost in the trenches, and 
Uh, I think we, we've talked a little bit about both of the Colts uh, offensive and defensive lines so far, but I think both of them probably have the edge up right now if you're just looking at the players out there on the field. Well, you, you really want to see how the edges hold up with Costanzo and Braid Smith against Allen and, and Chason. Is that his name? You know pronunciation more than me, but Philip Rivers does not bring mobility even close to what Jacoby Brissett brought. So you've, you've got to protect him. I want to see how they hold up in pass protection because Rivers is a sitting duck back there. As much, one thing the Colts will do, they're going to run the heck out of the ball. Mm-hmm. They're simply going to run the damn ball to make Quentin Nelson happy, which is going to help your pass protection. Uh, so, so again, I want to see this offensive line. We, we've been talking its praise all off season for a lot of reasons. Stand up and make a statement if you're the offensive line. Last year, the Jaguars finished the year 26th in scoring. They averaged less than 19 points per game. They gave up nearly 25 points per game. They were one of the worst teams in the league in rush yards allowed, uh, nearly 140 rush yards per game. And, hey, in the first meeting last year, Joe, with the Jaguars, the Colts racked up uh, more than 260 rushing yards. Marlon Mack and Jonathan Williams both topped 1,000 yards, and the Colts won by 20 points. Uh, The second game is a uh, one to forget that I attended down in Jacksonville to close out the season 38 to 20. The offense could not score in the second half. Um, The Colts still ran the ball. Well, they, they averaged nearly five yards per carry scored two touchdowns, but um, I'd imagine as, as Mike has alluded to, and as the Colts have said all season that they're going to run the ball early and often this year. And that certainly starts in Jacksonville. If you look at what they've been able to do in the past against these Jaguars, Look for Marlon Mack and uh, Jonathan Taylor to both see a significant amount of time on Sunday. Yeah, I would imagine the game plan would be pretty similar to when the Colts played the Jaguars the first time last season. Just run r- run the damn ball, run the heck out of it. Um, if they could get Mack and Taylor both to 100 yards, I mean, I, I think that's that'd be perfect. That's what they're looking to do. And then maybe, you know, not that they're going to ask a lot out of Phillip Rivers, but they're going to want to see what he can do out there. They're going to try some a deep shot or two to T.Y. Hilton, especially matched up against probably the rookie cornerback in C.J. Henderson, um, the ninth overall pick for the Jaguars. So T.Y. against the rookie corner out there, um, get, get you know, kind of get that chemistry going in a real game atmosphere. So what do we think about this game? Our predictions for the Colts facing the Jaguars in the season opener down in Jacksonville. It'll be on the 13th, 1 p.m. broadcast locally in central Indiana here on CBS4. Um, I will start and we'll go around to you. And heck, I've already said that eight points seems like a whole lot. So we already know that I'm not going to have the Colts winning by more than eight. I do have the Colts winning this game. I think a score of something along the lines of 24 to 17 is uh, is is reasonable. That's seven points, but uh, it's it's less than eight. So I'll, I'll go with that to start off the year. The Colts get a touchdown victory in Jacksonville and start one and zero. Joe, how about you next? And Michael, wrap things up. I'm going to go 31 to 20 Colts. I think the Colts will get out to a big lead and just kind of pound the ball. I think the Jaguars will make it look closer than it was at the end. Mike, you're next. I've got twenty. I've got twenty-seven ten. I just think that we've not talked as much about the defense, and I do think they've got a major chip on its shoulder. By not, they really want to be not just along for the ride, but but be a reason this team wins. I think the offense will score twenty-seven just because I think it's going to be that good. But twenty-seven ten, that will be a nice opener. So as we tape this Colts Blue Zone podcast, which, by the way, you can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone throughout the week. Uh, Submit your questions to us there. We'd be happy to answer them. Um, 
We tape on Thursday afternoon as the NFL season gets ready to kick off tonight. And it is should be of note to uh, Colts fans as there is an AFC South team on the docket. The Texans visit Kansas City to take on the reigning Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Uh, interesting to see, interested to see rather how the uh, how the Texans do in this game, just because of the uh, turnover that they've had there and the loss of uh, all world player like uh, DeAndre Hopkins. How does De- uh, Deshaun Watson uh, react they have Randall to that? Cobb. It's cool. They have Randall Cobb. Yeah, no, no, no worries. So you can have <laughs> Cobb. And I, I don't even know if uh, what's his name? Uh, the kid out of Notre Dame, who, Will Fuller. Uh, oh, yeah, Fuller, I don't know yeah. if he's healthy. Uh, if he's healthy tonight, he probably won't be healthy next week. That, that's just how it goes with Will Fuller. But um, dangerous when he's in there, no doubt. Uh, the the Chiefs trying to come back and start the uh, the road to repeat as Super Bowl champions. So, uh, Mike, who do you like in this NFL kickoff between the Texans and the Chiefs? I think the Chiefs win this probably like ten to six. Don't don't you think it'll be one of those nail biters? Yeah, you know, defensive game, of course. <laughs> They're going to put points if you got two of the best young quarterbacks who simply make plays. Well, I don't know what the over-under is, probably 50, and I'd take it and start counting my money. Joe, what do you think? I'm going to take the Chiefs in this one. I think they're just the overall the better team. They have more weapons. Um, they surrounded their quarterback with a lot more than the Texans have around Deshaun Watson. I think it is going to be a fun one, though. I'll go 35 to 31 Chiefs. I like that score, for sure. Um, the, the only guarantee I'll give you for this game is that um, the uh, as that Chicago Bears fans will watch it with great angst and uh, and anger and uh, disappointment and, uh, and and all that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I, too, like the Chiefs. I think that my boy Andy Reid uh, has even more tricks up his sleeve as he seems to every year. So I'm looking forward what what to see what the Chiefs do uh, in their in their road to repeat. As a as Super Bowl champion. So uh, that is the Colts Blue Zone for this Sunday. You can follow us online again on Twitter. I'll say it one more time at Colts Blue Zone. But uh, the best thing you can do for us would be to subscribe uh, to the Blue Zone podcast. Get us delivered to your inbox week after week. Also, leave us a comment and a rating there on iTunes. That would be great as well. Um, I am Dave Griffiths. That's at Dave G underscore sports on Twitter. Mike Chappell is at M Chappell 51. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. So we thank you for listening to the Colts Blue Zone podcast, and we will see you next week reacting to week one of the NFL season. Looking forward to week two.